1919 marked 300 years after the first slaves were brought to America. And at the time, black Americans were going through something that feels way too similar to what's happening today. Labor strikes were happening nationwide, a global pandemic still lingering, uh, the economy was flaky, racial tensions were of course high, and people in positions of power were using their power the wrong way. Black soldiers were coming back home for fighting overseas in World War I. They thought they would come back to a country that would recognize them as equals. And of course, you don't need me to tell you that that wasn't the case. In fact, in this case, the uniforms on their backs made them worse off. Most soldiers only wore their uniforms because that was the only clothing they had. They became targets. The Great Migration started in 1916. People were, black people were fleeing the Jim Crow South. So they went up to the Midwest and to the North. They moved to places where black communities were already thriving. But they also moved to places where they were met with the same treatment that they were trying to move away from. And this caused a panic with white people that spread like wildfires. Because it was one of the first times that black people actually fought back. And there were so many casualties from all this fighting and these so-called race riots. Personally, I don't even like calling them race riots because a riot, uh, when you think of a riot, you you think of a bunch of people just bugging out, everyone participating. But during these times, black people were just fighting back. And there were so many casualties that year from April to fall, from lynchings to massacres, that the civil rights leader James Weldon Johnson called it the Red Summer. He called it the Red Summer because there was so much blood on the streets. In this episode, I'm going to give you the details they hide from us in school and the events that politicians never like to talk about. In the year of 1919. So let's do it. Welcome to Loud Silence, a podcast about America's discreet history. This is a second generation production. I'm Danny Borbin, and this is Red Summer Episode 3. First off, I want to apologize for wasting your time last episode. I tried um, talking about how it was us citizens who fight for our rights and not our military. But I came off as a, uh, what do you call it, a know-it-all, a douchebag maybe, or you know, I don't know. Sometimes I even came off like uh, in a condescending tone. I mean, sometimes I do want you to know where I stand. And sometimes I do want to voice my opinion. But this podcast is supposed to be about facts. And I guess last episode, I let my feelings get the best of me. And you can hear it in my voice. So I'm I'm, I'm going to try to steer away from that. I'm going to stick to facts and maybe once in a while you'll hear you'll you'll hear my uh my opinions my biased opinions all 
I want to start off by saying that during these times in 1919, everyone was on high alert. Almost everyone was scared of something. You had black soldiers coming back home to broken promises from Mojo Wilson. You had white people scared of black people moving their way into society, not giving two shits that they just served. You had black people moving up north and realizing it's really not much of a difference here from the south. You had communism and anarchism on the rise. The KKK was getting bigger, uh, lynchings, labor strikes. Companies uh, used to bring black people into work and they'd be called strike breakers. They'd work while the white folk was on strike. And this will cause way more tension between black and white people. Now, I'm not saying that this caused the red summer because it sure as hell didn't. But it had a lot to do with the way white people handled their anger. Keep in mind that this is 1919. And people who fought in the Civil War are still alive. And not only is segregation normal, but lynchings were a thing. Lynchings were promoted on posters and newspapers. Some people even sent postcards of lynchings. White people even took home lynchings, uh, lynching souvenirs. Like Zimmerman signing Skittle bags. A hundred years later. And like today, it was a white man's word versus everybody. Black men would get hung for allegedly flirting with a white woman. So eventually, black people said no more. They held their ground. And this is what caused the quote-unquote race riots. Now, I must say, this it, it, it's not as simple as it may sound. There were almost 25 cities that summer that was going through this. And every city... Things happened similarly, but also differently. In most cases, even before 1919, way before 1919, actually, uh, a black man was almost always lynched. He was, I mean, usually he was lynched because he was accused of doing something to a white woman. In 1919, though, this accusation was used heavily. In D.C., Rumors of a black man who bumped into a white woman started going around stating that the man had raped her. This led to days of rioting by white mobs. What they did was beat black people up and damage black businesses. And like during lynchings, the police didn't care. They never stopped any of it. And always turned a blind eye. Actually, yeah, they always did. That, of course, didn't last long because black people started fighting back and Wojo Wilson sent in troops. And, of course, that's when police started to arrest people. Luckily for all parties, a rainstorm came and sent people home. It was deadly, but I mean, it was deadly and ugly, but the riot lasted almost a week and about 40 people died that week. D.C. was one of a few cities that actually fought back and did their best to hold their ground. Uh, Chicago was the other one. Excuse me. In Chicago, one of the ugliest of the 25, a black kid was swimming in Lake in Lake Michigan. He accidentally crosses into the white side of the lake, so a white guy throws a rock and hits him in the head. The kid drowns. Some people say that he drowned because he was afraid to go up and not let not get hit from all the rocks being thrown. 
either way, he was drowned. Black people tried to get the culprit arrested, but the cops did nothing. So this caused anger from both sides. And, well, this caused anger on the with the black folks, and it only sparked a fight between the black folk and the white folk. So a fight breaks out, and what happened next wasn't just fighting. White mobs all over Chicago attacked black people and black homes. They burned almost a thousand homes, probably more, burning them to the ground, sometimes even killing black people in them. You can actually find infamous photos of these events online if you just Google it in in a lot of these events. But Chicago was so ugly because there were so many homes burned. And you can see that you can see that some of the homes that are burnt, they're posing right outside the house and the houses next to that house are like totally fine. And again, the police did nothing in, in this case. In a sane world, you think this sounds eerie because to this day, oftentimes black people call the cops for whatever reason and the cops show up and arrest the people who called them, the black people, simply because you know why. But this is America, spelled with three Ks. In Nebraska, Woody Brown, a black man, is of course accused of assaulting a white woman. He gets arrested and a mob gathers together outside the courthouse, a white mob. They get inside the building and tear it apart and bring Willie Willie Brown outside. They bring him outside and crucify him and they burn him. They even set the courthouse on fire, by the way. They also tried to crucify the mayor who was trying to to defend Willie Brown because he was begging for them to stop. They let Willie Brown, um, they let the mayor off the hook last minute, but they let Willie Brown on display at a busy intersection. If you Google uh, Omaha race riots, there's there's a there's a there's a famous photo of Willie Brown burning on on the ground, and you can see that he looks it, it actually looks like he's crucified, and everyone around him is smiling and posing for the camera. Same with loud uh, Lloyd Clay, by the way, in Vicksburg, Mississippi, accused of, again, assaulting a white woman. He gets dragged outside out of his cell by a mob of white guys. They hang him and crucify him and fill his body with holes. They shoot him nonstop. No one was put on trial and there was no backlash nor retaliation from anyone in that city. In Chicago um, and, 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 and D.C., it... A lot of deaths happened because a lot of people fought back. In these other cities like Nebraska and um, Vicksburg, the riots were deadly, but they weren't as big. In Knoxville, Tennessee, a booming black city at the time, whites and blacks in some neighborhoods actually lived right next to each other. Maurice Mays, the adopted son of the mayor, gets accused of murdering a white woman. He was accused by a police officer who knew who knew that Mays liked white girls. The woman who identified Maurice Mays as the culprit was in bed with the woman who was murdered, Birdie Lindsay. They were cousins. On Labor Day weekend, the day of Birdie Lindsay's funeral, mobs start to form in the area where Maurice is uh, 
locked up. The sheriff sneaks May out of the jail before it gets too hectic. He dresses Mays in a dress and sneaks him out of town. While the mob of angry white men is increasing, patients are running thin and people are drunk by now. They start tearing shit up and they basically ransack the jail. They let out every prisoner that of course wasn't black. And what happens is that a rumor starts to fly that black people are holding up white people down the street or, or a couple of blocks away and that they're armed. Now, black people were armed because these veterans said they weren't going to take it anymore. They're fighting back, but they weren't holding up anyone. So the mob moves up the street to try and meet them or cut them off. And guess who's marching up the street with them? The National Guard. And black people knew this. They knew they were coming. So they set up and wait for them. Experienced war veterans. Again, history rhyming and repeating. Geronimo Pratt, 1969. So the mob and the National Guard reach where the black people are. And they also set up their machine guns and whatnot. And it was a standoff. It was a, what do you call it? A, uh, it was a firefight. What happens is that one of the guys handling the machine gun on the mob side, who was a teenager, panics and starts shooting, hitting one of their own, like in, like in uh, Arkansas. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But this is what causes a firefight. Nobody knows how many people died during this time, but ironically, like in other cities, rain caused this fight to stop. The streets supposedly were painted red from all the blood. Interestingly enough, though, 55 men and women were indicted. White men and women. And almost all of them were convicted. I think, um, I think it was two to five people that were acquitted. Maurice Mays, the adopted son of the mayor, was sentenced to death and electrocuted. Over in Arkansas, a lot of sharecroppers knew that they were being bamboozled. So they joined a union called the Household Union and another group called the Progressive Farmers. And these groups had prominent lawyers fighting for them. So white people thought, or at least wanted to believe, that these groups were influencing black people to incite violence and rise up. One night on September 30th, at a meeting in a lodge, People gathered to wait for the son of one of the lawyers. The son was collecting affidavits from the sharecroppers to prove in court that they're being bamboozled. Just to note, a lot of sharecroppers at the time were, were signing contracts that they didn't even understand. And these contracts were so messed up. Not only were the profits were supposed to be 50-50, but the landowner would charge them for everything else. Tools, seeds, everything. They basically... Set the prices on whatever you can name. And these sharecroppers were just basically in debt indefinitely. So they knew they had to do something because they were never getting out of the hole that they were in. So on that night of September 30th, a car pulls up and the lights are turned off and out steps an officer. The officer tells the armed men guarding the lodge to move away from the lodge. That doesn't happen, so shooting ensues. An officer gets killed and the other man who arrived with him is wounded. What do you think happens when a when a racist cop in a racist state or a country goes through a routine racist practice of intimidating and sometimes murdering and it ends up being the cop that gets killed or wounded? 
Whatever you're thinking is the correct answer. They go back into town and of course tell a crazy twisted story. That crazy twisted story spreads as fast as you can imagine. Not only in that town does the news spread fast, but in neighboring cities and states. People hear about what happened, telegrams are sent out, and it even reaches the governor. The governor reaches out to the senators, and the senators reach out to D.C., and D.C. pledges to send 500 troops. A bunch of posses are deputized by the sheriff right away. Now, these posses are all arming up. They start freaking out. So they go out looking for, quote-unquote, revenge. Revenge, I should say. By the time word gets to the people back at the lodge that these people are out looking for blood, these posses have already killed a bunch of black people on the way to them. So back at the lodge, people start to people start to panic. I mean, they start to hide. And when 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 the posses get there, they start shooting at anything that moves. Black people are out with their hands up. Some are still hiding. Others are running away. It's chaos. The posses let out so many rounds, right, that they end up shooting one of their own because they were everywhere. They had the lodges surrounded and they were shooting at each other. Another white man dead. What does that do? Causes more mayhem. More racists arrive. More posses arrive from everywhere the next morning killing more innocent black people. The morning after that, the troops arrive. Guess what the troops do? They also kill black people. Now keep in mind, the troops go in there with a narrative that black people are uprising and hurting white people. They literally kill black people in their eyesight. Any, any black person in their eyesight, they kill. When they were done killing, they rounded up every black person they saw. Around 285 people were arrested. Some landowners went to the jails and got some people out of jail. You know, like they're sharecroppers, basically. The union people were left in jail, the, the, the people who were trying to form the union. Some were tortured, 12 guys were eventually charged and convicted with capital offenses. Nobody knows how many black people died in this massacre, but only five white guys were killed. And this hardly ever gets mentioned in any history class or book. This case ended up being very important for civil rights cases because... Um, it was a the lawyer that handled this case came up with a way of fighting for civil rights. Eventually, all 12 men were freed by 1925, but they weren't even acquitted. These are some of the major events that happened that year in 1919. Like I said, there were about 25 race riots that year. And sadly, they all ended the same, whether it was a lynching or a false arrest or people losing their lives and their homes. Now, before yesterday was September 23rd, and Breonna Taylor's killers were acquitted. On September 23rd, 1955, Emmett Till's killers were acquitted. The Elaine Massacre happened on September 30th. That's five days away from here, exactly 101 years ago. 
It's actually one of the few places here in America that uses a memorial and a gathering. They have a memorial and a gathering. And they have it every year to remember those people murdered in their hometown that year. The sad part and the fucked up part is that a lot of these cities don't have memorials. There's probably like two or three or maybe four. And Chicago has to be the other one. I'm not too sure. But there were about 90 lynchings in 1919. And at least 11 of those victims were veterans. I'm not sure exactly what it was that led to these riots to come to a halt. I mean, maybe it was the cold or maybe it was the NAACP coming through for people. Whatever it was, it wasn't enough. Lynchings, excuse me, lynchings kept happening. And two years later, Tulsa, Oklahoma gets attacked by domestic terrorists. What I find crazy is that, and I'm sorry if you're tired already of me saying this, but How much this shit rhymes? I mean, (laughs) just imagine a black man getting shot in the back seven times for no reason. A black woman is killed in her her own home while she's sleeping. A 17-year-old white kid crossing state lines with his mom and a rifle killing two people. And the National Guard gets sent in because citizens are peacefully and rightfully voicing their rights. This is a century later, and it's happening right before our eyes. If you speak on it, you're overreacting, or you're trying to sound divisive, or you're watching the news too much. Or my favorite is, if you don't like it, just move. I'm honestly all out of fucks, but it's the confusion that keeps me talking. It's the not knowing that worries me. Because like, in anything in life... How how can we ever move forward without recognizing what we've done and who we are? Do you feel, however, that, uh, that we're making progress in, in this country? No, no, no. no. Uh, I will never say that progress is being made. If you stick a knife in my back nine inches and pull it out six inches, there's no progress. If you pull it all the way out, that's not progress. The progress is healing the wound that's below, that's a blow me. And they haven't even begun to pull a knife out, much less try and pull, uh, heal the wound. You have, have you have they won't even admit the knife is there. 